0: Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. What a load of bullshit, am I right, guys? I mean, in all the centuries America has been around, what have immigrants done for us? And besides affordable labor, uh, a whole bunch of culture, a number of inventions that are truly staggering, the entirety of NASA, by and large, our independence, uh, over three-quarters of the landmass of the entire continent, and a population of 300 million and growing. For a nation of immigrants and refugees, we seem strangely standoffish with them. I mean, to say the least. From complaining that they're polluting our precious Rio Grande with their footsteps, to saying immigrants take our jobs, to the ever-popular blaming immigrants for everything from terrorism to gas prices, Americans don't seem to appreciate anyone coming here. Well, anyone below a certain color code, at least. But before we call a spade a spade, address that elephant, or say the quiet parts, let's talk about immigration today on Why Aren't You Talking About This? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Wait WayTat. Uh, been quite a while, hasn't it? Have you missed me? I'm your host, William, and I'll be your quote-unquote naturalized American, guiding you through the frustrating and terrible world of immigration. But before I do that, I want to thank you so much for listening. It means the absolute world to me to have my voice ringing through your head on the way to be deported to your not-your-own-country for daring to speak Spanish in public. Check under your seat. I left you a hand grenade and two LSD tabs. Get creative. Um, also, besides some delays, uh, including getting sick, which is probably the reason for some of, like, the sinus noises, uh, the nasally noises, and also, uh, you might be able to pick it up, but some of, like, cough drops, like, jittering around in my teeth, uh, but besides being sick, uh, I think I'm gonna settle into the new routine pretty well, um, For once, um, I actually had the time to do a script justice, and for once, I'm also not too late on it. Um, So hopefully you're going to like the every three weeks, but, you know, there is a way that you can get me to post more often. By doing all the content creator creator stuff. Uh, Like the show where you can, make sure to subscribe on your podcast feed and YouTube, comment and review, and make sure to send in emails to get in contact with me. Um, Also make sure to keep following the show on my platforms And also make sure to stream and download the show to make the dopamine number go up And of course keep spreading the word to other people From your parents that are worried about you To your friends that are starting to distance themselves from you To your girlfriend that's actually a shadow demon in your closet And strangers on the street I mean the strangers are actually there but whatever Uh, Let's go to the show Alright, everyone ready to get angry? Either because you think I'm a fucking scum-suckling, wife-fuckling, dog-cuckling which, by the way, dog-cuckling is not fucking someone's dog, it's petting someone's dog while the dog watches them. Uh, no good leftist, or because the entire system of immigration is all fucky-wucky oopsie-daisy killed a child. Uh, which that's not as rare as you think, and uh, I'm actually talking about both sides of that. Neither- Neither one of those is as rare as you think it is. Uh, But anyways, let's just do some definitions first. So, immigration is the movement of people into a new place or country with the intentions to reside there, while emigrating is the movement of people out of their home country. And don't worry, we aren't talking about that second one, because, oh my god, fuck you. Uh, One, I am sick. There's no way M and M are going to stay uh, stay different enough to be able to understand what I'm saying. Also, there's no way I'm going to be able to like separate those two things out very well. Um, but we're also going to be talking a little bit about refugees and asylum. Because um, they're part of immigration as well, but are a little bit different. So, asylum is the old name for a mental hospital that is most well-known for their terrible conditions and venting torture devices that are now used by people for BDS... Oh, uh, wrong definition. It's actually the 2010 highly regarded and well-loved 5th studio album of American metal band Disturb... Fuck, got the wrong definition again. Okay, so Asylum is actually seeking the protection granted by a nation to someone who leaves their country. Uh, if you want an example that isn't depressing, France offered asylum to American scientists in 2016 after Trump was elected. And yes, that's the least depressing example I can give you. Because when Russia jokingly offered asylum after Trump lost in 2020, a handful of Americans said, Alright bet, and now they don't want to be there anymore after getting drafted. And within the definition of asylum, a refugee, or an asylee, is a person that's been forced to leave their home country to escape war, persecution, natural disaster, or unrest in some form. As you might imagine, with the kind of world that we live in, this happens a lot. But since this is a podcast based around the United States and its fuck-ups, let's shrink the scale a bit and focus on how immigration works here. Especially because basically every country handles it differently, and man, I cannot go through 200-something policies on immigration. So, let's walk through immigrating to the US. So, step 1. And this is basically the only step luckily. You need to get yourself a green card, which basically lets you have unrestricted employment and mobility in the US and can be renewed basically endlessly as your best bet for becoming a citizen. And since it's expensive and time-consuming, it's actually probably a better idea to first apply to to first apply for a visa. A visa is basically just an authorization to enter a country and be there, usually for a specific purpose. And these these can be for work, visiting, or study, which lets you live in the U.S. for sometimes up to years. And while visas can be hard to get, they're not nearly as hard as a green card. But let's say that you've already made it, so let's talk about the kinds of green card you can get. The first kind are family-based green cards, which are given to the immediate family of U.S. citizens and green card holders, like... Spouses, widows and widowers, children, parents, and siblings. Uh, grandma doesn't count. They'll throw her into the Abuela pit if she shows up at the border looking for you. There's also employment-based green cards, where you either have skills and training we want, or your employer is willing to sponsor you. And this is in five levels, with EB ones being positions in arts, sciences, education, athletics, and business, and you're real fucking good at it. EB-2s are professionals with advanced degrees and humanitarian physicians. Uh, EB-3s are various permanent workers. EB-4s are special exceptions, international workers, and religious workers. And finally, EB-5s are investors that spend somewhere between $500,000 and $1,000,000 in the U.S. and also come from a place that pays the government a whole lot of money. There's also the extremely difficult-to-get humanitarian green cards, which are given to refugees and asylum seekers, as well as victims of human trafficking, abuse, and crime. And this is hard to get, because usually the government that you're moving away from is at least notified, if not worked directly with. And also, there has to be evidence in the case of crime or abuse. If you come from somewhere that doesn't care, well, that's going to be a hard one. But less depressing than that uh, would be the longtime resident, Green Cards. Or if you've lived in the US for a while and haven't committed a crime or left the country, you get your green card. And uh, how long is that? Oh well, uh, only 1972. Yep, as of this date, you have to have lived in the US for 52 years to get a green card this way. And if you commit a crime that ends up in a permanent record or you went to Cancun one time in 52 years, you are ineligible. There's also U.S. aid green cards, which are given to nationalities that have been our allies before, like Afghani, like Afghanistani, or Iraqi translators or soldiers, or the special immigrant cards, which are given to diplomats, religious workers, reporters, international employees, people on humanitarian missions, and the families of those. And yes, there is an overlap. Can I tell you Why? No, but assumedly it makes the bureaucrats horny in a slightly different way. So that's probably why we have it. But the last kind that you can get are diversity lottery green cards. Which, I'm going to be honest, might just straight up be a bit racist. So every year the U.S. gives out 50,000 green cards, but only from places with low application rates. Which just so happens to be largely Western Europe, Northern Africa, and Oceania. Yeah. Okay, but once you figure that out, what's next? Well, now you have to pay to file. And if you're filing independently, like with a family green card, it'll probably cost you about $1,760 if you're within the U.S. or $1,400 outside the U.S. Which, uh... That's a lot, to say the least. But if you're playing... But if you're paying for employment visas, and your company, and your company is being an asshole and not paying for you to file, it'll probably cost you about twelve hundred twenty-five dollars. But if your employer is paying, then they'll probably end up cutting a check for about ten k. Now here's the issue: this is not refundable, which right now might sound reasonable. But let's say that you have the money and you fork it up and you decide to file. Well, first, you gotta get yourself a sponsor, who you're essentially hiring to pay this fee to the government. So they'll petition authorities to start the process of immigrating. And once they do, the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services reviews the petition. And if they say no, well, you either gotta give up entirely, or restart. And, oh, you gotta pay again. Shitty, but okay, you submit a new petition. And they do decide to approve it, which, again, might not happen. Then you fill out and file your application, and if you fuck up the application or you get denied, yep, restart from square fucking one. But okay, so if you go through all that again and you live inside the U.S., then the USCIS will process it and mail you an invitation to take your biometrics. If you're outside your, if you're outside the U.S., your local consulate, i.e., government official will process it, and then you'll receive a medical exam that you then turn in. And if you live somewhere that doesn't appreciate you trying to leave, that might be a bit of an issue. But regardless, if that all works out, you get an in-person interview whose date and time will be determined by whoever is interviewing you. And since it's the government, you'll know they will be scheduled at the worst possible time. Like a Tuesday at 2 p.m. Which again, if you fail, then it's back to the fucking beginning again. Or if you miss the appointment, or sometimes even if you just have to reschedule. And if you somehow pass the interview and your application has been approved, which, by the way, that still needs to happen. Yeah, you do the interview while your application is being approved. Uh, your green card is either going to get mailed to you or you will be allowed to enter the U.S. with your passport. And when you arrive, you'll be sent your green card to the address that you write down to be delivered to. And congratulations! You've now legally immigrated to the US and it only took probably several thousand dollars in an unreasonable amount of years. But what if you don't have the time? Like, say that the government, like, say that your government is rounding up people of your demographic and send them to totally not at all concentration camps. Well, step one escape to the US without citizenship, which is easier said than done, but okay, let's say you manage that. Well, then step two would be to fill out form I-589 within one year of your arrival, and if it gets approved, you're good. If you don't get approved, well, you better apply for a visa or green card, because holy shit, you just told the government your location, and also that you got in here without citizenship. But luckily, the odds of not getting approved aren't too bad. To apply for asylum, which is what you're doing if you can figure out by context clues, you have to be able to provide proof that you were under threat. Which works pretty well if you're running from something very big, like that example I gave you. But if you're running from something like a cartel-controlled government, then obviously you gotta bring in some pretty damning evidence, and also, like, everyone back home is fucked. The U.S. government is not gonna do anything to help them, even if they do believe you. Okay, but before we get to the history, let's quickly talk about legal immigration. Because a lot of people seem to want to imagine that illegal immigration is one of the biggest crimes ever conceived from the human mind and that people can and that people that immigrate illegally should be put in these super special re-education camps that are also definitely not concentration camps but what's the actual punishment for it well if you avoid mis- if you avoid immigration stations or you misrepresent or conceal information from immigration services then you'll be fined about 2k and deported, or imprisoned for six months. Or if you do it again, you'll get put away for two years. And if you falsify a marriage to get in, well, you'll get fined $250,000 and or get imprisoned for five years. Or if you create a front of, or if you create a false front or your company ships people in illegally, you could be imprisoned for up to five years. Or the feds will charge you money for every person you shift in, probably somewhere in that 2K range. But what about if you get caught just trying to walk across the border? Well, they'll charge you like 50 to 250 bucks per attempt. Um, or if you just keep getting caught, they'll double it and give it to the next person. That'll still go to you. But hey, it's somewhere between 100 and 500 bucks. Now, I want to do an activity. I want you to look at these charges. Because there is a small detail that I left out. These are civil charges, not criminal ones. So you wouldn't be considered a criminal under US law for these infractions. Because again, they're not crimes, they're infractions. But also, the thing that makes a criminal is the fraud you commit along the way. Like, notice how just walking over the border is a one time charge and getting deported but if you lie to the government in some way, that's when you get into some serious shit. Just, you know, something to think about when you see people claim that people coming over the southern border is a crime wave, when in actuality it's not even really technically a crime. It's an infraction in the same way a parking ticket is, but, you know, you wouldn't be mad, like, you wouldn't call it a crime wave if, like, parking tickets rose up 500%. I mean, honestly, in my opinion, I think that Honestly, in my opinion, I think they're just mad that they're brown. Okay, so this history section is going to be kind of weird at first, because for most of world history, immigration's been something that's actually kind of hard to control or track. Because, think, if your border is 500 miles long, it's hard to police that border and keep people out. So, not many ancient societies had immigration policies. So, instead, we're going to focus on, like, migration patterns where even before nations were really even a thing, early humanity was migrating all over the place, in pursuit of food and away from danger and overcrowding, which ends up holding up for millennia. But the first migration wave we're actually going to talk about is, a thousand, is the 1000 BC migration of the Celts all across Europe, spreading their culture extremely far and wide. And only a few hundred years later, in 728 BC, the Greeks forge a the greeks forge an almost worldwide empire expanding across the mediterranean for the next 250 years and also going further east uh, i think they i think they did made it, make it make as far as india at this time Um, and during a period of invasions during and during a period of invasions ending in 180 bc they, as well as the Scythians, Parthians, and Kushans form empires in India. That wasn't what I was referencing. I was thinking that maybe around the 700s they were also exploring into India. I don't know if they got there that early or not, but they—they they, yeah, they definitely hit India by 180 BC, which is still really early. Uh, during the fall of Rome and through to the sixth century AD, the barbarian invasions occur. Which, while it did contribute to the Empire's fall, because rarely were these called invasions for just racist reasons, uh, also broke up the also broke up the homogeny of Europe and created much higher levels of diversity in culture. Which is good if you didn't know that. At the same time, the Turkish people spread across Central Asia, Europe and the Middle East, as the Bantu migrate around Zimbabwe and South Africa. Falling into the 9th century, the Hungarians first move into modern Hungary, and in the 11th century, only do the Turkish and Bantu migrations come to a close, but the Bedouin migration starts, which massively contributes to the spread of Islam and the displacement of the Berbers. Also in the 13th century, the Germans migrate to Germany, displacing and combining with the Varangians and Goths. Much to the tears of all of us. I and mean, Goth dami mommies are better than German dami domino- mommies. And in the Eurasian steppes, the Huns, Bulgars, Tatars, Slavs, and Mongols migrate in. Now, why did I tell you all of this? Because, firstly, history is incredibly important. While it doesn't sound like it, this history shaped the modern world map. It also demonstrates that the world is not easily broken down blocks of ethnic groups and that there's thousands of tribes and cultures within an area we view as hegemonic as Europe. The other reason is because it supports what my big point is. Migration, and immigration, and travel, is as human as booze and loving boobies. I mean, since prehistory, people have been moving, and that didn't change during areas, during eras we view as largely sedentary and settled, like the time of the Roman Empire, the Middle Ages. But all this migration gets supercharged, during the Age of Exploration. With so many empires in Europe min-maxing mercantilism out the ass, they were setting up colonies basically anywhere that could support them, exporting white people worldwide, often by force, but still. Also, due to the imperial- imperialism and colonization, many natives were spread across the world, again, often by force. And this ignores the slave trade, which again, was by force, but spread populations from the Americas, Africa, and the the Middle East, and Asia worldwide. And all of this stirred the pot of humanity, creating a level of diversity, both biologically and culturally, never seen before. Granted, I mean, diversity in a bad way in this case, since it was mostly, like, intellectualizing, uh, powerful white Europeans ruling over populations they've essentially or literally enslaved. Uh, And this only becomes more pronounced with the turn of the 19th century in the Industrial Revolution, where, because of the need for labor, urbanization, and the, you know, devastatingly terrible wars, human populations and ethnic groups get increasingly mingled as people become refugees, workers, opportunity seekers, entrepreneurs, and merchants. But, forget all that shit, let's talk about America. The land of the free and home of the brave the proud land built on the back of immigrants and slaves, but let's ignore that part because we don't like to think about it, Uh, beginning all the way back in in the 18th century with why people would come here in the first place. Because while, yes, the initial immigrants were seeking refuge from persecution or trying to make their fortune way back in the 16th century, in those 200 intervening years, there were a lot more options. If you came willingly, then you'd come for the freedom and cheap land or the distance from your nation's government, particularly England's. Or, perhaps you had relatives here, or wanted to get away from the hustle and bustle of 1702 London, or Paris, or Berlin. But, after the 1717 Transportation Act was passed, you could be sentenced to America. Yes, we, like Australia, also received shipments of British criminals. And debtors, but back then there wasn't really much of a difference between the two. And all of that made for a weird but unsurprising culture to develop. Because think, what happens when you take a ton of people that don't like the government, a ton of people that love freedom, and a ton of and merchants? Exactly, the United States. And by 1776, we'd be on the road to independence when Thomas Paine publishes Common Sense, which hit a nerve in the Bible-loving, monarch-hating, sister-humping Americans. And after the revolution, we had questions about who should be considered one of our fine and upstanding people. And it was decided in the 1790 Naturalization Act that any white person of good character that lived in the U.S. for at least two years and applied for citizenship would be considered a citizen. Oh, yikers. Even more yikers, if you weren't a citizen or not white, then the Constitution and its protections didn't apply to you. Yep. Eight years later, we pass the Alien and Sedition Acts, which allow for the U.S. to deport political threats. Which, let me tell you, if that's not a vague term on purpose, I don't know what is. And in 1803, a ban was passed on anyone of color immigrating to the U.S. And wow, is the quiet part really not being very fucking quiet. After the War of 1812, we get a mass immigration of Western Europeans, or in other words, white people but this isn't all sunshine and rainbows because most of the immigrants arrive on death's door being sick malnourished and injured and because of that and because of that medical and assistance systems of port cities are massively overwhelmed and their economies are wrecked as the new immigrants can't work and have nowhere to go and can't really do anything to like pay so in response in 1890 the steerage act is passed which enforces demographics information on all immigrants and requires actual livable livable conditions aboard ships. Fucking wild, huh? Wild times to be alive. By the 1860s, the Irish would become a third of all immigrants into the U.S., and we'd have about 5 million German immigrants, most of whom moved to the Midwest. Anyway, back to racism. Because in 1830, Andrew motherfucking Looney Tunes Jackson passed the Indian Removal Act to confiscate lands from Native Americans. Thanks, dickbag. Eighteen years later, due to the Mexican-American War, we annexed basically all of northern Mexico, which would be everything we have now west of Texas. So now we have a bunch of new not-white people in America, which, if you've been listening closely, is not a good thing for those newcomers who are actually there before the white people were. Totally totally coincidentally, one year later, America's first anti-immigrant political party is created. The Know-Nothing Party. And that was not a self-descriptor. They were insulting immigrants. Um, Also in the same year, the federal government decides that states cannot restrict immigration. Only they can. And for some more racism, in 1854, People v. Hall gets through the Supreme Court, blocking blocking Chinese, black, and native people from testifying in court against white people, and holy shit. Three years after that, high on their own farts, they rule on Dred Scott v. Stanford, coming to the conclusion that slaves and freed blacks aren't citizens. Which also, if you remember, means they are not protected by the Constitution. See what people mean when they say that America was built on racism? Speaking of which, the Civil War where the Union prevents all Chinese workers from entering the South, or immigrating to prevent the South from replacing slaves with cheap Chinese labor. And this is not like a moral decision, it was a strategic one. A racist one, but a strategic decision. In 1864, a brand new Immigration Act drops, which allows for indentured servants to immigrate. AKA slavery with extra steps. Luckily this was quickly repealed, but for a slight bit of something that's not extremely racist, we signed the Burlingame Treaty with China in 1868, which allows for Chinese and American workers to migrate freely between the two nations. Which, hey, that's not half bad. Two years later, fucking finally, the Naturalization Act gives black people citizenship. Yes, free, freed black people weren't citizens until 1870. And then states start trying to pass their own immigration laws, citing that the feds can only restrict, and that they didn't say anything about making or enforcing other laws. And the feds quickly shut that shit down because they love one thing, it's being in charge. In 1880, we get a we get another massive boom of immigration, with a lot of them working in factories and living in cities. How many, you ask? Oh, just about 20 million from Central, Eastern, and Southern Europe, including 2 million Jews and 4 million Italians, both of whom were considered not white people at the time. And then we get the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, which bans Chinese immigrants. Why? Well, because instead of blaming the rich bourgeoisie for their shit wages, like they should have, a lot of American workers blamed the 0.002% of the workers in gold mines, garment factories, railroads, and farms, and said the Chinese were driving down wages and selling opium. Clearly, no class consciousness. And as the world continues to become smaller and more people immigrate in, the racists start getting even more antsy. And so in 1891, the Immigration Act is back at again Krispy Kreme and excludes polygamists, uh, which were basically targeting some Middle Eastern and Asian cultures and also the LDS for some fucking reason, Uh, people convicted of a wide variety of crimes, some of which are not that serious, uh, and people who were sick or had diseases they also create the Office of Immigration. And the year after, Ellis Island opens, and by 1907, we have 1.3 million people entering through Ellis Island alone, and is the peak of immigration to the U.S. in history. But of course, more racism. As the U.S. and Japan signs the Gentleman's Agreement, where Japan limits its immigration to the U.S. in exchange for the U.S. stopping Japanese segregation in San Francisco specifically. Despite all of this hatred of immigrants and racism, an estimated three-quarters of New York's entire population are immigrants at this point. And back again, once again, the Immigration Act of 1917 is passed, which adds a literacy test, and also, you guessed it, bans Asians again. What the fuck is America's problem with Asian people? I mean, even to the modern day, racism towards Asians is seen as pretty kosher and acceptable, even amongst more woke people. Anyways. Even more racism, because yet another goddamn Immigration Act passes in 1924, which creates an immigrant quota, which is limited to 2% of the total number of people of that ethnicity already in America. And because of this combination of things, uh, Asian illegal immigration skyrockets because they're barred from immigrating legally. Uh, How they would do it is that they would be shipped over to Canada first, and then travel by land from Canada into Washington. Um, which is why the West Coast has a higher Asian population than other parts of the United States. Because they would emigrate through Washington, Oregon, and California. Which, again, is why there's like such large Asian communities along the West Coast. Um, I just figured that would be interesting. Um, and in 1942, distracted for, I mean, some reason, uh, from our hatred of immigrants, we have to pretend to play nice. And due to a labor shortage, uh, because, you know, for some reason we just kept shipping young men off to Germany, um, we created the Bracero Program with Mexico, allowing Mexican workers to freely enter the U.S. temporarily as farm laborers. Six years later, we passed the first of our ever refugee laws to help out after World War II, a full three years after it ended. And four years later, we repealed the exclusion on Asian Americans, Which, need I remind you, the Chinese Exclusion Act lasted 70 years, and the most recent Asian Exclusion legislation lasted 35. U.S. history is fun, isn't it? No lingering guilt or anger at the stupidity of your ancestors, right? Anyways, after a failed uprising against the Soviets, we invite 38,000 Hungarians into the country in 1956 and 1957, and in 60-62, to 62, we do similar, but taking in 1,400 Cuban children as part of Operation Peter Pan, which is not as creepy and, like, pedoey as it sounds. And then deciding that we needed to say the racism part quietly, we reformed the entire system in 1965, doing away with quotas and exclusions, which I'm sure some of you are still pissed about. Then in 1980, in a record-setting number, 125,000 Cuban immigrants seek asylum through the Mariel boatlift. In 86, Ronald goddamn motherfucking Reagan does something good for once and signs the Simpson the Simpson Act, which grants amnesty to 3 million illegal immigrants in the US. Oh, also the uh the boatlift and like similar things. Um I did not write this down. It just occurred to me. Uh the boatlift and like similar events like that and also Operation Peter Pan. Um, is why there is such a large uh, Cuban population um, around the, uh, like, in Florida and around the Florida Keys, Um, because for a while it was policy that if someone was fleeing from Cuba, if they made it to the shore, they would be granted asylum, just kind of automatically, so a lot of people would kind of just send their kids, like, America direction. Um (laughs) In hopes that they would make it to the shores and be free from Fidel Castro's regime um, which is also why you have a lot of like very conservative uh, Cuban Americans um, anyways uh, before 9-11 because God knows it's not gonna happen afterwards when our collective dicks are hard for nationalism and open racism senators Dick Durbin and Orrin Hatch funny names uh, seems like they did some good stuff, uh, proposed the DREAM Act to help children of illegal immigrants. Also, I am sure... I'm sure I'm gonna get fucking clowned on for saying that they sound like good people. Uh, but anyways, the DREAM Act fails. And in 2012, after many, many attempts and at eventually getting the DREAM Act through, Obama passes DACA to shield DREAMers from deportation, and in 2017, Trump creates the Muslim Travel bans. <laughs> And, uh, that brings us to the current situation! Wow, that was quite the racist timeline, wasn't it? Well, luckily, we're we're better now, aren't we? What, are you fucking stupid? No, we're not better. But before we get into why America sucks, let's talk about why everyone sucks. So, firstly, how many migrants are there worldwide? Well, about 3.6% of the world population, or 281 million people, are living in different places than they were than they were born in. Three times what it was in 1970, and of that, the place with the most migrants is Europe, with a total of 86.7 million migrants, followed closely by Asia with 85.6. And the least migrants would be Oceania, Oceania, which is the southeast or I guess southwest, depending on where you're looking. Uh, Pacific Ocean and Australia, with a total of nine point three eight million migrants. And the nations with the highest migrant population would be the United Arab Emirates at eighty eight point one percent of their population, Qatar at seventy seven point three, Kuwait at seventy two point eight, Bahrain at fifty five percent. I butchered that name. I know I did. Don't fucking judge me. Don't tell me. Don't talk to me. And Luxembourg at forty seven point six percent. And So just based on that, the Middle East has by far the most migrants by percentage of population. The most bulk migrants, of course, is Europe. And these migrants are a huge source of international money exchange, which, if you're an anti-globalist, sounds like a bad thing, but is actually a huge help to the economies of both nations because because sending money home brings in higher amounts of money to the local economy, while exporting money away creates a vacuum that helps to ever so so slightly rein in inflation. Also, don't ask me to explain any of that. I'm not an economist. I barely understand econ. And migrants worldwide send about $702 billion home per year, around 250 or around $2,500 per person per year, with the highest recipients being in order India, China, Mexico, the Philippines, and Egypt. Who combined make up thirty five percent of all money received home. While the most common sources are, in order, the US, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Switzerland, and Germany. And uh hey, look at that. America's at the top of something that isn't catastrophically ass. Congrats, America. But those five nations combined takes up about twenty eight percent of all America of all money sent to migrants homeland. But yeah, fuck the international community, I hear you saying. Let's talk about America and why we're the best people in the world. And okay, okay, you don't have to be so aggro, you fucking dickbag. So firstly, how much of the U.S. is immigrants? Well, most commonly is the figure of 13.6% of our entire population, or a total of around 45 million migrants, with 52.5% being naturalized, uh, given citizenship, Another 29.5% eligible for citizenship, uh, which also puts us at number one in terms of raw raw immigrant population worldwide. (laughs) And of that percentage, unlike what your uncle will tell you at Thanksgiving dinner and every family function ever, 74.5% of them are proficient at English, which means conversational, a.k.a. they can get through basically all the systems you can without much, if any, issues. So if your uncle has only encountered that twenty, that tiny 25.5% of immigrants that can't or don't speak English, he needs to buy even more scratcher tickets than he already does. Also of this, the overwhelming number are of working age, with 16 to 64-year-olds being 78% of all immigrants to the U.S. and 51.3% of them being women, which contradicts the false and racist idea of other countries Exiling their violent criminals to us also of the immigrants coming in 37% of them are from Asia and 31% of them are Hispanic Which lines up with the top five countries of origin being in order Mexico, India, China, Philippines, and El Salvador with Mexico being the only one in the double digits and Also 8.1% of all Americans have at least one immigrant parent Meaning that if you say racist shit about immigrants to a group of 100 people, there's a good chance that 8 of them are going to whoop your ass for talking shit about their mom. Deservedly. And also, of the immigrants we have, a total of 59% of them live in one of the following states. California, Texas, Florida, New York, or New Jersey. Which makes sense, since those are big immigration ports. And also, 10.9 million immigrants are homeowners, making up for 14.9% of all homeowners in the U.S. and holding $5.4 in housing wealth. And immigrants also contribute $135.9 billion in rent per year. But now that you have the general shape of an immigrant, being a working-age Asian-Hispanic American mom living in California from Mexico that knows English gooder than you, how much do they contribute? Well, immigrants overall have a spending power of 1.4 trillion US didgeri dollars and pay into taxes 524.7 billion. Which is a fuck ton, if you'll allow me to use the scientific term. And immigrants make up 22% of all entrepreneurs and bring in 95.6 billion dollars of economic action. But how much do they cost? Well, according to the most recent study I could find from 1992, yeah, I know, old, cringe, and uh, severely out of date, but it's what I could find, uh, about 62.7 mil, which accounting for inflation would be 137.8 mil. So not even a billion dollars as entirely offset by the tax income. And, just to kind of support that piece of evidence a little bit, the rate of immigration has not increased to a rate where that would be, like, completely outstripped. Uh, In all likelihood, we're not paying anywhere even close to a billion dollars still. Also, of the labor force, we have 28.7 million migrant workers, which is 17.1% of the entire labor force. And immigrants represent 52.2% of the taxi and limo industry, 44% 44% of private household workers 42.6% of personal care 42 40.2% of apparel manufacturing and 38% of building and dwelling services and of, and of occupations specifically 74.6% of manicurists and pedicurists 57.5% of agricultural graders and sorters 56% of plasterers and stucco masons 54.5% of taxi drivers and And 53.2% of drywallers, ceiling tilers, and and tapers are migrants. On top of 22.8% of all STEM workers, 15.2% of nurses, and 25.8% of health aides. Being that if you, like some fucking morons in this country, think all immigrants need to leave, all those industries and jobs I just mentioned would probably fucking collapse that and you would wave goodbye to a total of 1.9 trillion goddamn dollars and by a liberal estimate of 3.4 million businesses so yes we are a country of immigrants because we rely on people being brave and or dumb and or tough enough to come here and give a shit to try and make something so fuck you that's american but i'm not done giving out the spankings yet because we also have education stats. Of all immigrants that come to the U.S., 25.6% have less than a high school education, which, yes, is bad, in my opinion, does not offset the 40.6% that have the equivalent of high school and some college, or the 15.2% with a graduate degree, notably 1.7% higher than naturalized citizens. But even if it does, let's cut out all the woke shit for a second and admit that some jobs literally could be done by a particularly clever raccoon, like pushing buttons, Or have nothing to do with education and everything to do with experience, like drywalling or agriculture. So, bringing people in who would be happy to just have a job is a good choice, instead of training someone for 13 fucking years and putting them in a job that ignores all of that effort and hard work. And also, we host 948,000 international students that support 335,000 jobs. Provide to us $33.3 billion in economic contrib- contrib- contribution. To me, sounds like bringing in immigrants is a no brainer no matter how you cut it. Okay, let's talk about illegal immigration. They represent 22% of all immigrants, with us having 10.5 million of them. An estimated 857,000 are entrepreneurs, and 88.2% are working age and their total spending power and income is $228 billion and $259.1 billion, respectively, but they also pay $31.1 billion in taxes. 2.5% of all Americans live with an undocumented family member, while 6.8% of all children have one undocumented parent. But of that, 7.8 million are part of the workforce or are actively seeking work, making them about 500 times better contributors to society than the people that complain about them. Also, the overwhelming majority are 25 to 44 years old, making up 6.57 million of the illegal immigrant population, putting them right in the middle of the working ages. And of that, 3.46 million are men and the rest are women. And where do illegal immigrants mostly come from? Well, in order, they're from Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, India, and Honduras, and 56% of all illegal immigrants come To one of these six states California, Texas, Florida, New York, New Jersey, and Illinois. I know, confusing, right? I mean, who'd willingly go to Illinois? Next, let's talk about refugees. We have 2.3 million refugees, and as of 2019, the most common places they came from would be the Republic of Congo, Burma, Ukraine. Eritrea, uh, which is, oh shit, I looked this up, I looked up where Eritrea was, I think it's in Asia? Uh, Africa, it's in Africa, uh, it's on the Horn of Africa, sorry about that, uh, where was I? Oh, uh, and Afghanistan, and much like other immigrants, they contribute a ton to the U.S., with 180,000 entrepreneurs making 4.9 billion in business income, and with a 92.9 percent employment rate overall, they also contribute 104.8 billion of household income and 76.9 billion spending power, and pay a total of 27.9 billion in taxes. But finally, because But finally, before we get to the actual pros and cons, because I swear to god we're not talking about the issues, because holy fuck, I do not want to drink bleach that badly, let's ask why people come to the US in the first place. Most commonly is economic opportunities at 53% of entrants. 29% of people said freedom, 20% said family, 17% said to flee persecution, and 17% said to flee violence. 15% are for their children's education, 12% for their own education, and also fleeing religious persecution, and 8% to collect social services. So now, with that, and everything else that you've learned here, I want you to ask, would you not do the same? Because for most people, because for most people entering the U.S., legal or illegal, their motives aren't to suck the marrow from the bones of American culture, or to fuck your daughter, or to turn America queer and woke. No. They want to move here, because where they come from limits them. And the land of the free is a shiny beacon to aspire to, something to chase, and to find and give their children and families a better life. So again, fuck you, that's American. Okay. So let's talk about the pros and cons. Like always, starting with the good things. And the first of them is the economic growth that comes with immigration because clearly as we've talked about immigrants generate a lot of buying power and also happen to pay taxes so having poor people immigrate in creates more economic action because we poor spend money on things while having more wealthy people immigrate and i mean like middle class not like the ultra rich means you get more people investing in things and also like settling down and building long-term investments. Now also, interestingly enough, wages tend to increase a bit in the short term for areas with high immigration, especially amongst high-skilled positions. So so if you're in a job from being a journeyman electrician to a librarian to a tax accountant, you want higher levels of immigration because that is good for your wallet, especially in your industry or related fields. Also, for those of us who aren't stem cells and are base in Humanities Pilled, we can't deny that immigrants give us a ton of cultural diversity. Now, if you're more conservative, you're probably asking why this is a good thing. Well, put simply, also I'm surprised you made it this far, congratulations. But, put simply, having a wide array of cultural traits makes your culture a lot stronger and more stable because you have a stronger base. But if you're a true brain maxer and don't care about the culture because you recognize that human culture is stronger than any subdivision of culture, then you recognize the cognitive and emotional benefits. Because cultural diversity makes you better at pattern recognition, uh, smarter overall, gives you wider context for events worldwide and also locally, makes it easier to understand other cultures and your own, it also makes you feel a lot more balanced and centered because you understand how life is like in different places and can and can contextualize your own experiences within the grander scope of humanity, and if you are on the spiritual bent like me, it is good for your soul. But back to the economy. Because immigrants are also a huge source of innovation and entrepreneurship. Because think, most immigrants come to this country with almost nothing. Nothing to tie them down, yes, but also nothing to attach them to to a community here in the U.S. Which means most have to carve their own path in order to survive and are also more willing to take risks than naturalized citizens i mean think they took a risk in coming here in the first place why stop now when the other option is to go back to whatever shitty situation they're running from also immigration has been used also immigration can be used to address an aging or shrinking population something that fun fact the un has been telling japan for decades and its collective xenophobic ass still refuses Basically, if your native-born aren't fucking enough to support your aging baby boomers from when times were good and you could afford to have both a kid and retire, then you can replace some of them with immigrants that want to be in your country and also probably find your native-born pretty fucking sexy. Both the bulk importing of people, alongside the baby-bumped birth rates, can save your nation from aging out of existence. And kind of in the middle of based and stem-pilled, is global connectivity. By having multiple cultures at home and from places across the globe, you can understand other nations and their cultures a lot better, making them less scary. Also by having well trained immigration Also by having well-treated immigrant populations, these places very well might see that as respecting their ethnic or cultural heritage, or taking in the people that they don't care for. Or alternatively, notice that you are becoming more like them not noticing that they're becoming more like you. Which is all very good for diplomacy, trade, lasting peace, and if you're a good boy who's eaten his dinner, espionage. Also, with immigrants, you get a wider degree of labor flexibility and more room to fill skill gaps. For example, let's say that your nation doesn't have enough computer scientists, agricultural laborers, factory workers, and machinists because most of your population has decided to be femboys on the internet. If you're anti-immigrant, you have to either mandate or hope that your native-born go into these fields. Alternatively, you can let immigrants in, and the ones that lack the skills you want will go into agriculture and factories to fill those slots, and, hey, maybe even free up some of your more skilled native-born to do what they actually want to do, sit in front of a computer and thigh-eyes, thighs, uh, and give special visas and green cards to immigrants with so a background in mechanics, mechanical engineering, computer sciences, and who are in trade guilds. Effectively, you're making up for the things that your culture sucks at. And if nothing else, more people means that under the man-made horror beyond comprehension that is capitalism, means more money from people buying more shit they don't need. And you also get more taxes because you have more people you're you're charging for the privilege to huff your government-mandated farts. But not everything is sunshine and rainbows. Unfortunately there are some bad parts of immigration. So firstly, is the potential for competition. The higher your population, unfortunately, the more creative you're gonna to have to get when it comes to making jobs. And given that right now a lot of companies are actively trying to make their workforces as small as possible, all this does is create a greater and greater level of competition between all workers, especially for well-paid, high-demand jobs. Also, just letting open the floodgates and letting everyone come in can cause explosive population growth. Which, much like explosive diarrhea, can be very, very bad and cause overpopulation. Uh, Explosive diarrhea can't really cause population overpopulation. Anyways, and unlike normal overpopulation where the government has all the time in the world to see it coming and do something about it, this one can come as a surprise. If we know the government, they suck at surprises. Just notice how many senators seem to shit themselves. There's also a lot of cultural friction that comes from immigration. I knew I'd bring it back. There's also a lot of cultural friction that comes from immigration, especially if people are immigrating into areas with a lot of discrimination and racism already. But also, some of it can be hard. Also, some of it can be legit hard to answer questions about how things should be and what's okay. Like, for example, let's say the home culture's opinion on women is that them and men are basically exactly the same and should always be treated the same. Good, right? Well, but that's also in the bad way. Women are expected to be fighters, are given zero accommodations to protect vulnerable or victimized women and girls, and are pink-taxed like Trump's in their locker room. Uh, By the pussy, by the way, if you couldn't... uh, If you didn't get that. And the immigrant culture is extremely protective over women, with a common punishment for so much as hitting a woman, being getting your arm removed, and genuinely caring about the health and well-being of all women and girls. Good, right? Well, but also, they don't consider women fully human, being seen as too vulnerable to be given choices or freedom, and are cared for by their fathers and brothers until they're cared for by their husband and sons. And if an immigrant woman is punched in the jaw by a man of the home culture, who is in the right? The side that wants his arm removed with a dull hacksaw, or the side that thinks that she should have been able to defend herself? The side that thinks that she's property, or the side that thinks that she's human? Yeah, I know, extreme example, but sometimes those help to illustrate the point. That kind of cultural friction can be devastating and divide a community faster than introducing two colors on the opposite side of a spectrum as personality traits. Additionally, you run into issues of exploitation. That since immigrants don't have any real safety or social net, may not understand all the laws or the culture 100%, are just happy to not be in a shittier system, are just happy to not be in their shittier situation at home, are out of alternatives, or might not be here legally. they're more vulnerable to predatory businesses that would willingly exploit them rather than try the same shit with a native-born citizen and get their cheeks clapped by the federales. Like, a native-born probably won't accept half of minimum wage under the table in cash for their paycheck, but someone who's here, because they're escaping a country in the middle of a bloody civil war where that amount of money could sustain your entire family for a very comfortable month, might put up with it, even though they're being exploited, because it's still better than what they could have had. Also note that the villain in this example isn't the immigrant, it's the company exploiting them and shafting the native worker. Remember, folks, the immigrant is your friend, your boss is the enemy. This can also lead to wage suppression, where because an industry re- relies on workers taking far less than they're worth just because they're happy to have made it here, the entire industry can get away with tanking the wages of everyone because if you don't work for that price, then we have about 500 immigrants with the exact same skill set who will. But also, having more immigrants can create a strain on infrastructure and public services not because they're more likely to use them, but because immigrants means more people. And if your public services are already struggling to keep up with the number of people you have, obviously bringing more people into the situation makes it a lot worse. And it's the same deal with housing. I mean, we have a housing crisis in the U.S. because most people are one hospital visit or missed paycheck away from homelessness as real estate prices soar so far past wages that stops being sad and becomes funny and loops back around to being sad about eight or nine times. So adding even more people to the mix isn't helping shit. Now we also have three controversial ones, and these are controversial because while they're technically true, I think you'd kind of be a real asshole to use these as your primary reason why you're not in favor of immigration. The first is security risk. Because yes, regardless of from where, bringing more people into the country is going to risk bringing in spies and terrorists under the payroll of other nations or organizations. And while yeah, that's a threat from native-born people too, it's again a situation where the more people you have, the higher the threat. Secondly, there's social integration issues, because the culture of your homeland and the immigrant culture might not mix properly or at all, which creates pockets and clusters and not only these cultures, but also pockets and clusters where they mix or kind of mix or just, near each other existing like when you make microwave hot chocolate and you don't get the milk hot enough also i hate that that's the aha moment for some of you but i wouldn't expect anything less from listeners of the show and this can not only radicalize these pockets doubling down in every part of their culture even the stinky parts and potentially becoming hostile to outsiders you also lose the benefits of mixing these cultures together in the first place and finally is a shift in national identity which I think it's the worst one because I don't give a shit. I mean, basically, if you care about the national identity, then yes, this is going to alter your nation's identity a bit. So fucking what? Cry me a fucking river, you dumbass. Okay, but now that we have that covered, let's talk about some opinions. Okay, ready to get angry again? I'm being serious. You're going to get mad about how stupid Americans are. So let's first ask the people a very important question yay or nay on immigration and when you ask that you find the assholes pretty easily 27 percent of americans think immigration is stinking and gross and gives you cooties while three percent have mixed feelings which i do gotta say even from the leftist angle makes sense to have some mixed feelings especially after doing this research but overwhelmingly 68 percent of americans think that's a good thing and only 24 percent believe that that immigrants Burn their hosts, and 66% say that the host is better off for it. So, even some of the people that think it's a bad idea supports that, at the very least, we're better for having them. And as far as the situation at the southern border goes, 39% of Americans believe that we have an immigration crisis, and another 33% see as a major issue, and 22% see as a minor issue. Which I actually don't chalk this up to politics. The border is a crisis but only because people thought brown people crossing it was a crisis and now we have the Lone Star State thinking it's a badass about to get slapped by the United States Armed Forces because they decided to introduce immigrants to the American special. Putting people who failed the paper bag test in a tent city in the desert. Okay sure that's all fine and dandy but what's the impact people think immigrants have? Well overwhelmingly People think that immigrants make crime either worse or do nothing to the crime rate at all. With a total of 47% of people voting for each. Which, that second group is right, by the way. Statistically, the crime rate is entirely unaffected. Uh, Migrants are no more or less likely to do a crime than anyone else, it turns out. Almost like they're also people. Also, by and large, about 56% of people think that migrants cause no effect on job opportunities. Which is close to right, because while migrants do a lot of jobs, they also start a lot of businesses that need a lot of workers. And 54% of Americans agree that food, music, and art in general gets better. Which, I'm in that camp. You can't really force me to, like, say, -uh." no-uh. Americans are split on if the economy overall is better or worse, with 39% and 38% respectively. Which actually it does help out the economy like a lot but maybe some of that is because 44 percent of americans think that they make taxes worse probably because they assume immigrants are getting a free ride and that they are the ones paying for it which actually isn't true migrants pay their fair share because the irs ain't no snitch they just want that green and don't give a single fuck how you got it or why Correctly 41% of Americans say that there's no effect on national morals with migrants And here's why I disagree with the 32% saying that morals get better and 25% saying that they get worse Because morals are relative and also regardless of what specifics are put into place There are just some things that humans believe regardless of morality because without justification for our actions humans are capable of deep levels of sympathy and are social creatures with high intelligence therefore Things like theft, murder, exploitation, the loss of bodily autonomy, and torture are always going to be immoral, and so humans will always have to either justify these things or accept them as evil. Also, fuck you, you racist asshole. We're not paragons of morality. Just because someone darker than you exists near you doesn't mean that God is dead. You are the reason why he doesn't answer the phone anymore. You specifically. Okay, but assuming that immigrants are going to come into the country, what's the most important things for them to be? Besides being white, which is something that about 7% of left-aligned and 8% of right-aligned people think. Yeah, seriously. Uh, that's at the bottom of the demands list, uh, right next to Dress American and Adopt Christianity, which, I don't know how to break it to you, 19 and 24% of conservatives and 11 and 12% of liberals of Americans, respectively. But judging by where people tend to come from, they already do, and already did, and in fact, probably better than you because they wear jeans and cowboy hats for an actual reason and actually go to church and actually believe it, not just use it as a shield to deflect criticism. Also, 12% of lefties and 30% of righties think immigrants should love Washington and Lincoln, which is funny because a ton of righties hate Lincoln because he forced your ancestors to call black people human. Uh, Also, 18% of lefties and 41% of righties Think they need to celebrate American holidays, and just as confusing for how no shit it is, is adopting American history at 23% left and 48% right. Like, what what the fuck do you think is happening here? They want to be here. They're not your nephew that wishes that Japan, according to anime, was real, so that they could have been born there instead of here. Also is adopting American habits, which I think is just fucking stupid, because... Cultural habits are deeply ingrained, and also have, and also having more new habits is actually a good thing for a culture. But regardless, 55% of righties and 24% of lefties feel this way. And now we get to the four that I get and can sometimes a little bit get on board with. First is being friendly with Americans, which is important to 36% of lefties and 48% of righties. I mean, as long as Americans are friendly with them, I think this is a no-shit thing. Got to be able to put up with your neighbors. Also, fluent English, which to me is just a nice plus. Basically, as long as you can get around, you'll be fine. Which is also not a problem for most immigrants. But this is important to 38% of lefties and 71% of righties. Self-reliance, uh, 56 and 87 uh, respectively, and loyalty to America, 16 and 87 respectively, are the biggest ones on the list. Which I can say comfortably as someone who's known. Dreamers, immigrants, both legal and illegal, foreigners on education visas, someone who's read a ton of immigrant stories, and also looking at the stats, these are not a problem at all. Someone who comes here is exceptionally reliable and tough just to make it through the fucking immigration process, which is a goddamn nightmare no matter how you do it, and you can't bumble your way through immigrations or over the border. And also in my experience, a lot of immigrants tend to be either very socially or very financially conservative, and would suck Daddy Sam's star spangled cock if he asked. People who come here fucking love America. Why? I couldn't fucking tell you, but they do. They chose to come here of all places. No shit they love it. The Okay, no joke. One of the people that I know, he, I mean, I haven't talked to him for a while, because I met him in college, he uh, was a dreamer, his parents were illegal immigrants, um, and he was the most fucking patriotic person that I know, that I've ever met, and like, this is a, I'm stunlocked a little bit, because This is a guy whose parents were basically getting shit-talked on the news constantly. Of, like, people talking about, like, oh, yeah, they're the problem. They're the only problem in America. And he, no matter what it was, if someone started saying the anthem, he would stop and he would say the Pledge of Allegiance. If there was anyone in, like um like military uniform. He would thank them and he would almost cry, telling them how much they mean to him. And he fucking loved the American flag. Any excuse to have an American flag in his hand, he took like you do not understand the amount that like a lot of people that choose to come here love America. Anyways, with all of that covered Do Americans feel sympathy for illegal immigrants? Well, 64% in some way say that they do, while 36% say that they don't. And while it might sound like a pretty hefty split, let's get rid of the loaded term. Do Americans feel sympathy for people that cross the border for a better life? And magically, just changing out that term that makes people sound like criminals and 'er ne'er-do-wells for another loaded term that is honestly a bit closer to the truth, 78% 78% of Americans feel sympathy for them, and only 21% feel none. So for most of that 36%, the reason they're unsympathetic or opposed is because they're being lied to. The term illegal immigrant has been weaponized to meet a dangerous stranger, try to sneak into America, laze around, probably fuck your kids, and steal all of our America juice to do anything but be American with. But when you change to the barely better... I didn't ask you if it was cool to crash here, but I don't have any options, but I can pay rent, I'll promise. Suddenly, most people are on board. But with that, let's round this out by asking, should we increase or decrease immigration, or is the amount we have now good? Because with all the good immigrants bringing the potential downsides, and also stripping away all the artifice of politicking, where do we stand as a nation? 26% 26% of Americans say increase, 31% say say the same, and 41% say decrease. You mother... And your dog, too. No, oh, all of that got cut? Way too violent and too much swearing, even for this show? Alright, well, besides the stupidity of most of us that think that despite all the good immigrants bring to the U.S., that we should stop letting them in... What's my thoughts on the matter? Well, surprise, surprise, I think immigration is a good thing. And this, and before this episode, it was for the bleeding-heart, lived hard, woke reasons that everyone says. Yes, immigrants deserve a place to belong, a place to live, and also reasonable accommodations because they're people. Looking at humans, risking life and limb, or spending their sanity and hard-earned money for a chance for a better life, like, it... I feel a great amount of sympathy for them, and I want them to get what they deserve. But now that I know more about the benefits that they bring, not only to America, but the world at large, fuck yeah, bring, bring immigrants in. Even ignoring the woke reasons of being a decent fucking human being, just the economic incentive is massive. And ignoring that, like you should, the benefit to culture is insane. Again, while it seems humanity is pilled to say, Having cultural diversity is really important, and not even on an individual level. A society with a wide variety of cultural backgrounds has a bigger base to draw systems from. A society with eight different cultures contributing to it has at least eight different ways to respond to a problem. Like if you want to turn death from this spooky, eerie, painful thing to something that's accepted as just a part of life, you do well to reject the Protestant Western European mourning, And accept some of China's or Mexico's traditions of keeping your ancestors alive in your hearts with annual festivals and ceremonies, thanking their sacrifices and inviting them to come sit down and eat a meal with you, or updating them on your life, or just sitting down and pouring, like your dead grandpa, a drink and asking him how the afterlife is. Or, for something more important and less spiritual... Maybe your nation has issues with flooding, and there's not really a whole lot you know how to do without spending billions of dollars. Until, migrants from Bangladesh, where flooding is a serious and constant concern, come in and use their expertise alongside your people to devise ways to guide the floodwaters to less destructive areas. And maybe by merging your industry-brained ideas with their flood prevention ideas, you've suddenly created a way to turn natural disasters into long-term hydroelectric power. Something not possible without bringing immigrants in. And this is even ignoring my own leftist ideas of borders and nations. While I do think it's important to know who's living in your country for tax purposes, analytics, keeping the fucking lights on, and other boring shit, I don't think that crossing borders, especially between allies like America and three-quarters of Central and South America, which we did by force, uh, should be all that hard. Hell, I don't think crossing borders between America's allies and America should ever be harder than a plane ticket, maybe some documentation to prove that you're not going to be in a just as shitty situation over here, and like a fistful of dollar bills for the filing fees. I don't give a shit about a border because I see us all as the same humanity. I understand that the things that divide us are ideology and competition. But in a place like the U.S., where so much is put to the torch as waste, and we, more now than ever, need people who want to be here and want to find a way to fix things, I don't see any reason for us to close down borders and pretend like we don't need migrants. I don't put stock into my race, barely put any into my culture, and put a mild amount of pride and stock into my family name and continue on the lineage that spawned me. And immigrants threaten none of that. If I'm lucky enough to have kids in my future, and they marry an immigrant and settle down, why the fuck do I give a single shit? They're happy, and their kids are being raised in a more diverse and stimulating environment than I was. That's all I need or ask. And again, it's American to strive for bettering yourself and your life. It's literally fundamental to what we advertise as something truly American. If someone has truly dedicated themselves to that enough to want to come here, fuck it. Let them in. I mean, better better that they come here rather than ogle at us from a distance. Alright, let's finish off this star-spangled schlong. Alright, and that's the first episode of the new schedule done. Hopefully my sick voice wasn't too much, and that was also fun and interesting to hear. Cannot wait for your feedback. Also again, sorry for being late. Uh, Anyways, if you have opinions, advice on how to make the show better, who you wish would immigrate so you can get your grubby paws on them, uh, your own immigration stories, and really anything else you want to tell me, make sure to email me at waytatpods at gmail.com. Remember to check out my other podcast, Waytat Nerd, where I do basically the same thing, but with nerd topics like fantasy, sci-fi, role-playing games, etc., where I hope you like the topics just as much. And also remember to follow me on Twitter at waytat underscore pods for more episode announcements. Have a good night, don't murder, have fun, and remember, don't tip your immigration agent, bribery won't help you. This has been Why You're Talking About This, I've been your host, William. Good night.